if you're going to matter, you got to do something that's more, that's bigger than you. And it can't be just for accolades and money. Welcome to Let's Give a Damn. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is my chance to talk with people who saw something wrong that needed to be made right, and they gave a damn about it. What do the Black Panthers, LA, faith, and successful music careers have in common? Show Baraka and propaganda, that's what. It was an honor to have my friends show and prop on the show today. I loved our conversation, especially the parts where they pick on each other like little brothers. This was a fun conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Ready or not, here it comes. Welcome, Show Baraka and Propaganda to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Oh, that's a greeting. Hey. Th- that is a, that ah. is a greeting. <laughs> Did it sound like I was just proclaiming it into yeah. the air? Yeah, no, you were just like setting up the show. Like, <laughs> hey, welcome to the podcast, Show Baraka and Propaganda. Hey, how you doing, Show Baraka and Propaganda? <laughs> gotcha. Well, I'm so glad you are here. No, really, I am, I am a super fan of what you guys have accomplished in life. Very excited about what um, you're doing. And so uh, super stoked for this interview, uh, for this conversation, really. I want it to be more of a conversation than an interview. Um, and so let's uh, get right into it. How about it? Well, uh, go ahead, do it. First item on the menu. Tell me your story. Let's start with mm-hmm. show first, and then we'll go to prop. Tell me your story. The, tell me about the things that stick out in your mind, uh, in your story, that helped shape you and form you into the person you are today. I would love for that to, story to be told so that we can get some context about uh, what led you into what you're doing today? Yeah, let me tell you my God story because mine's is so much more compelling than props. Um, <laughs> um, plus, I'm gonna say some things that props gonna copy me. So, I grew up in a house of a Black Panther, and I know props gonna copy that and say he did too. But um, <laughs> my yeah. family was way more pro-black than his. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I grew up in a house of a of a football player in the Black Panther. And uh, and so <clears throat> when you talk about issues of justice and and race, uh, they were very prevalent in our household. And so I grew up kind of aware and alert about these things. Uh, then my parents divorced and uh, my father kind of broke away for a while. And so when there were moments in life where I had a lot of money and we lived in like predominantly white communities, or mixed communities of upper to middle, middle, middle class to upper middle class families. And then uh, when they split and divorced, I stayed with my mother who had no job and uh, we lived in a ghetto. And so uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I share all this because I had up until about high school, when my father really came back into my life, like junior high, high school, I grew up in these different types of elements. I, I became a, a very... Um, I became like a hybrid of an individual who knew what it was like to live in affluent neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, be around white folks, be about black folks. Mm. And so uh, I'm multicultured in some senses, probably not as much as prop, but definitely multicultured. And uh, so uh, when I got to college, around this time is when my family uh, started becoming Christians. My brother, who was older than me, uh, his name is Dahadi, he became a Christian and began to share the faith with me. And I tried to avoid it as much as possible. My father became a Christian and he 
would read his Bible every morning. And I used to be like, why in the hell are you reading your Bible? You're not a pastor. <laughs> and so, but it just, later I realized it was just, this is what Christians do. They study to show themselves approved and equipped. So um, when I went to college, I had to spend some time with my brother. And he used to have me in these little small groups and Bible studies. And they used to just kind of ignore, it used to annoy me to the, to the umpteenth degree. But then eventually, like my second year of college, after my second summer spending with my brother, I went back to school and I started going to a Bible study. And hmm. uh, that Bible study really changed my life. And I went to a conference. And that conference ultimately was the, the pivot in me like giving my life unto Jesus and, and, and seeing things from a, a different perspective. And so all those cultural differences became like interesting bullets in my and are better yet arrows in my quiver and being able to, to to know how to maneuver within different cultures and communities while at the same time having a biblical mindset and so now as a, an adult it's not really a stretch for me to have concern about race issues have a concern about black consciousness have a concern about arts because this is you know this is this is the way that I was brought up, and before right. I had a, a improper view of those things. But now, through the gospel, the Lord has kind of shaped me to see them as a way of being a good storyteller and a, and a great cultivator. And um, and when I say storytelling, I mean storytelling in the sense of like telling stories that form identity in a, in a biblical sense. And um, because oftentimes, as Prop and I have been doing this tour called Spotlight, we see that. A lot of our problems in our country is because uh, there's been bad storytelling and there's been a lack of affirming in uh, different cultures of the in the Imago Day. And so for me as an individual, it's my whole passion now is how do I frame stories around one God, but then in the sense that he has created us to have a good relationship with him, a good relationship with one another, and in a good relationship in the work that we do. And mm-hmm. so that's where I find myself now. I'm still trying to learn and figure out how to reconcile all things to Jesus. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing that. One question. You said your dad left uh, or wasn't around as much early on. Um, from that time until the time he came back in, were there any other you know, male figures, father figures, uncles, brother, uh, maybe that was your brother, that kind of helped you through that time? Or was was that more your mom raising you during that time? No, nah, I had a little no good. A little no good was the homie on the block. He used to teach me a little something. something. Then I had... Uh, uh, my coach Kelly, you know what I'm saying, and then uh, who else yeah. was around? I had my stepfather Rodney, Rodney, but he was Nation Islam Muslim. Uh, I know it sounds like a joke, but this is real. <laughs> like so, <laughs> this is something. Yeah, those are the cats that was. And then my oldest brother, who's like seven years older than me, he he was he was an influence on me. Not always good, but then I had good influences as well. You know, my older brothers, they had their moments um, of of stirring me in the right way. Um, I did play a lot of sports, so there were different sports authorities who who taught me uh and then i had a grandfather yeah i can't forget my grandfather my grandfather passed when i was in uh late high school and uh he was a wonderful example of kind of like old school agrarian type of man who built everything with his hands farmed uh and you know treated women with respect made us address him with respect uh couldn't wear hats in the house you you don't (laughs) <laughs> don't walk through the kitchen when people are eating kind of stuff. You know, it's just real, real like 
old school kind of like wore the same like shirts every day. He had like 20 of the same shirt. And that was just, that was him. And like, so you never saw him in the house sitting down watching TV. He was working. So this was the kind of, so then, yeah, I had those figures, but you know, a young man, I would like to think, you know, hip hop raised me a little bit as well. And Mm. so those influences fluctuated or vacillated back from the influences from like X-Clan, Brand Nubian and and Public Enemy to, you know, the Snoop Dogs the ice cubes and the the pox and the biggies so you had cats who was supreme conscious but then also dudes who was like who though they didn't think they were communicating deadly dangerous content um without proper guidance that stuff can be very conflicting for a young man like me right right cool very helpful prop share some of your story with us help us understand what made the prop that we are listening to today yeah well man well my story as as show so eloquently said was sort of co-opted by show and uh <laughs> you know appropriated by show and was, uh, <laughs> was purposefully went first so that i would seem like the copycat but uh <laughs> reality is we all know the truth um no so of course yeah uh started off in south central los angeles and then um kind of between there and an uh, area called the San Gabriel Valley, like West Covina, La Puente area of California. I spent most of my time in predominantly Latino neighborhoods, specifically Mexican. And, you know, similarly, my father was, you know, part of the Black Panther Party out here in L.A. And he's originally from Texas. My mom's from D.C. And, uh, yeah, so... I forgot to say that I'm from California as well. Boom. Oh, see, you see what I mean. You, see what I mean? <laughs> you had to get the, you had to get that in there, didn't you? Got to, had to. <laughs> yeah. So you know the the backdrop of sort of Los Angeles at the time, you know, with the you know sort of the height of the the war on drugs, the sort of you know Crip and Blood narrative, um, and also you know you got to remember there was the burgeoning uh, sort of skateboarding scene and you know, hip hop around that time. Uh, for me, being in a Latino neighborhood, God kind of sovereignly used that to avoid a lot of the gang pitfalls because I just, I lived in a Mexican neighborhood. So because of that, like, I, I just, mm-hmm. I learned to be drawn to different, to other things. And for me, one of those things was, you know, hip hop. Uh, my father used to take me down to Venice Beach uh, to go get, well, quote, air quotes, incense, you know I me mean, for the house, uh, but uh, he used to take me down there to do that, um, and I would see the dudes, you know, spinning on their heads. I remember walking by or driving by like an uh, area called the L.A. River and just seeing these just larger than life sort of graffiti murals and being like, whatever that is, you know, what I'm saying I want to be a part of that, you know, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and I guess similarly, like you know, the 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 backdrop of a of a sort of a panther father. Um, you know, juxtaposed with people like X Clan and, and Public Enemy and Brand Nubian, like hip hop just made sense to me. This was like, this was the voice uh, that I felt like we, we needed and was supposed to have. Um, Why did you name the right. same exact groups that I named? Is a question. Uh, because I, I can't win with this guy, man. No, you can't. Try, I'll just, I'll just, mute, I'll just mute him the rest like, of the time. You see this dude? Now who's copying who? Now he's on my record label. It's true. <laughs> um, Amazing. And then and then made and then made them put his album out before mine. You see what he's you see what's happening here? 
Um, I I see it. I think we're I think we're gonna have to go into counseling after this. Yeah, nah, uh, this dude. No, you so, released like three albums with him. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so so having like you know groups like that and and just just the narrative of like seeing sort of sort of hip hop as this like alternative to gang life and kind of taught me to like sort of love my neighbor, love the people around me, and then um, you know being in this like sort of Latino when my parents became believers, like we found this church, like right smack dab in the middle of a Latino neighborhood. And, and, um, you know, my, the guy that led me to Christ was like a former Mexican mafia member. Like we just, we just grew up in that environment. And it just really taught me like one to love my neighbor, to appreciate where I'm from and to like, uh, sort of always think of your work and your life as something bigger than you. I was a pretty decent student. I, uh, but I was a visual artist first and that's what I went to college for illustration and intercultural studies and I actually thought I was going to either teach for the rest of my life I taught high school for about six years I thought I was going to teach for the rest of my Mm. life or I was going to be like an illustrator you know and um yeah and then and but just like anybody who like you know when you're a kid and you rode a skateboard it's like you're not thinking about going pro it's just that's what you just ride a skateboard because everybody rides a skateboard it's fun you know what I mean um so hip-hop was like that for me like no matter what I was going to participate in the culture and then as doors started opening, it kind of became sort of a career. But I think, you know, sort of the formative events for me was one, like the L.A. riots, like really shaped the way that I kind of saw the world. Um, hmm. When my parents became Christians, it kind of shaped the way I, I saw the world. Uh, and then, yeah, my dad split when I was starting uh, my freshman year in high school. And, um, you know, and that kind of like really sort of changed. But he wasn't like not in my life. It was just... Um, right. I saw him often, but uh, it definitely colored the way that like I kind of see the world and understood manhood and you know kind of all those things wrapped into sort of where we are. So yeah, you know, um, compassion for a narrative that's not my own, um, and seeing sort of the similarities between people that are different than me was something that was just very natural to me and uh, kind of informs a lot of like the multiculturalism and just justice work that kind of exists in my right. work, you know? Right. Show, yeah. um, were there any situations or circumstances that I guess shifted things in your mind, uh, in terms of where you started to, I know this, it, this is, this is an interesting interview for me. This is an interesting conversation because for other interviews I've done or conversations, it's been, um, you know, about like I had my friend Jeremy Cowart on and he's starting the Purpose Hotel and has done all these things. And for him, he sh- he's the celebrity photographer and things shifted for him in 2005 on this trip to Africa. But this is different because we're talking about racial injustice. We're talking about police brutality. We're talking about these civil rights issues. And so I, I don't know if if there were if, if I can even ask this question to either of you about were there any specific moments that shifted things for you in your life where you started to give a damn about these issues because it probably was something that yeah. was always there yeah, right? basically all the moments all, the all moments. of them yeah you know were were there okay yeah yeah so were there any specific instances of the things we're talking about that really sparked something in you started a fire where you said hey I want to even in the midst of my career, my music and my art and whatnot, I'm going to dedicate myself to this conversation. I'm going to speak up. Um, maybe maybe that's a good question for here. Were there any specific like little issues or circumstances that popped up that were like, okay, that's enough, or I really have to speak up? Were there any of those for both either of you? Well, I think Prop summed it up um, 
in all the moments. I I'll, I'll run through a couple of moments. Like I said, growing up in my house, I was just I was I was always aware of who I was, like from a young age, because there were times when I lived in all black communities, and there were times when I lived in all white communities, and that's this is at a young age, right. so. Um, this was something that was aware to me, but I remember at the age of 10, I think it was, my uncle got murdered by police officers for trying to, uh, cash a, f- a fake check in a park and, uh, at a grocery store. And they, mm-hmm. they, they dragged him out to the, to the, uh, to the parking lot and choked him to death. And this happened in Phoenix, Arizona, around the same time when Phoenix, uh, or the state of Arizona was struggling on whether or not they were going to, um, honor the, MLK, the, the birthday of, of MLK, right? So mm. my father, my uncle's death was on, was televised, not the actual death, but the, the uh, situation was covered by like national news. It was in the papers. Wow. And so, uh, that was something for me, it was really confusing. But then again, like, like I said, I had a family who was aware of these things, who was very socially conscious. And so, you know, the way that they spoke of it was obviously, uh, in a way, that cast this huge conflict of race in America. Now they didn't, I think there was a lot of truth to what they said, but they didn't handle it in a way that they wanted to, they desired unity in a way that I think prop and I are trying to communicate. And so that's sure. then that, and then you go to the uh, times in life when I'm getting pulled over by police in cars, getting drunk uh, in California, getting guns drawn on me because I'm just, there's just four black guys in a car and we fit the description times where uh, police. I mean, it's just there's so much. Yeah. There's so many different situations that have happened. And when I say pulled over by the police, I mean that's happened a, a million times. One time <laughs> recently, I was driving down the street with my kids, and look, I had a Ford Taurus, like a I can't remember, <laughs> it was like a 2001, 2001, 2002 Ford Taurus. It's I'm a pretty dri- amazing vehicle. Yeah, pretty amazing, right? Pretty stylish, right? I'm yeah, driving totally. with two children in, in car seats in the back of the car. I get pulled over. And the cop is like questioning me, like all kinds of like, what do you do? You have anything in the car? Where are you coming from? And like, because I, I, I was driving in like, I guess a predominantly white community. And then he asked me, "Are these your children?" And I'm like, "Oh gosh, what am I like? Why do I just kind of just snatch children up in a Ford Taurus and just <laughs> buckle them up in car seats and just like, is that is that a thing?" Amount of care. So anyway, take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so it's just that I was just like, oh my gosh, what, what is happening? So yeah, it's just just stuff like that. Um, yeah, no reason to pull me over. It was just ridiculous. So um, it's just things like that. And then like growing, but I tell you where what what drove me recently to really give a damn was I signed with a label um, in two thousand four, and making music was something that we all desired. And I think in the at the beginning, no, I signed with the label in two thousand seven. I'm sorry. Uh, in 2007, the, the label started in 2004, and we all, you know, the, myself and the other artists, a part of the label, had a desire to reach people on our campus and in our city because we we realized that hip hop was communicating a message that we felt ultimately was something that was counter. Not all of hip hop, but a lot of hip hop was communicating a message that was something that was somewhat kind of productive to um, the message of the gospel, and so we wanted to communicate an alternative message, but. Things started to happen as far as like our, our 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 fanfare started to rise and platforms were given to us. And I realized the mission started sort of changed from reaching the people that looked like us and communities like us and uh, being very 
meticulous about how we went about that to crowds that were primarily white and and very young. And with that came um, just criticism about, well, I will say this, when I started to, to share my thoughts about issues in America around the time when Oscar Grant and Rakia Boyd were killed, I began to realize that there was a silencing that was happening. Now, you can talk about black nihilism, you can talk about black ignorance, but you can't bring up white supremacy, you can't bring up racism at these mm-hmm. events. And that began to disturb me, and then I quickly realized that I was I was good enough to entertain and to... Uh, to, to to babysit people's children, but when it came time to educate and to criticize culture, predominantly the culture that they lived in, then uh, I was no longer appreciated. And so mm-hmm. at that moment is when I realized, you know what, I have to make an intentional direction to speak to issues in a way that obviously these people are not privy to. Uh, and when I say right. these people, I mean like evangelicals. And so... Uh, <clears throat> that's when I began like three, four years ago to really make a conscious effort to say, you know what, I am intentionally switching the direction of the music I make to address issues that I think are pertinent to, uh, the, the kinds of, uh, people that I, I, I engage with on a daily basis. So, yeah, that was, that's it. I know mine's a, sure. a little different. The, the origin story is pretty similar in the sense that like the, you know, the issue, is, the issue of race and justice is unavoidable when you're black in America. Like, there's no, you can't, it's unavoidable, you know? So, yeah, same thing. Countless, pull, walk, you know, walking to school, walking home from school in my own neighborhood, uh, being searched, you know? And I'm like, it's just a backpack. Like, I mean, I'm coming, I'm a nerd coming from school, you know? Or like, um, right. you know, I, I, I remember one time, one time I was walking with, uh, with, with, Two other boys. One was, you know, a very fair-skinned black guy, but he looked like a white guy, and the other guy was a white guy. And we got pulled over. I got a ticket for jaywalking. They didn't, you know. We're just and we're walking shoulder to oh, shoulder. Wow. How come I got a ticket and searched, you know? And and they're standing there watching, you know, and just just there's just obvious things like that, you know. Um, just an overall tone. Watching, you know, people clench, clench their purses and go on the other side of the street you know i have headphones on i'm not paying you any attention but just you know sort of just the normal playouts of what it's like to experience uh or the experience of just being a black male in america like there's just no other way around it um and then for me coupled with the sort of the the immigrant undocumented story that like i lived right next to you know so when people talk about them you know the quote-unquote mexicans i'm like man you're talking about my neighbor you're talking about my babysitter you're talking about like, you know what I'm saying? Like these, like, this is my family, my pastors, if you will. Like, you know, so, so that narrative was just like, it, 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 it begins to, you know, sort of make you feel like no one really cares about you. But again, since I grew up in this, or when the Lord saved us, I was in this church that, like I said, was, you know, these like super real, like real folks, black, Latino, Asian, white, like just amazing amalgamate of people that allowed us to just really be who we are. I felt like I had a foundation of a church experience. Like a lot of these dudes, the dudes in my youth group, like, or at least the high school kids were like, these guys were like legendary graffiti artists. These dudes were like original, like LA break dancers. And we just just have like, our pastor, I guess at the time was ahead of his time. You know what I mean? So we were allowed to just be who we were. So I had just had this picture 
of of the Christian faith um, that was considerably different than I come to realize later, sort of the South or the rest of the country, because this ain't Bible Belt, you know. So we were, sure. I guess, for lack of a better term, a little more progressive. So the so the concept of race, justice, and hip hop, those weren't conflicting ideas. So when I stepped out to make music, it was a natural progression. It was the hip hop I fell in love with. You know what I mean? So I, there was never a time that I wasn't very socially conscious in my music. I was, I was much more aggressive. Right. I was much more um, almost like childish, if you will, in the sense that like I had to just grow up a little more. Um, and I didn't have the focus that I have now, but I was, I was always like very socially aware. You know what I mean? I, I never really had access to like white evangelical world until 2012. And my access to them was a poem called Precious Puritans, where, so mm -hmm. their introduction to me was dissing them. You know what I'm saying? So for yeah, me, yeah. it was almost like a, a strange misnomer that they liked me. You know what I'm saying? Um, Right, but right. that's how I actually got introduced to show and his and his counterparts and kind of sort of made friends uh, in that environment. And there was a lot of spillover as like uh, I got embraced by that by uh, sort of that world where it, again, like I came in as a foreigner, um, really not understanding sort of the uh, policies or nuances that came with being accepted by white evangelical world. You know what I'm saying? Um, so sure. my sort of, ex so, so with that, like my experience, like the, the, even the white evangelical that like has embraced me are considerably like liberal, you know what I'm saying? Um, in the sense of like, like, like the Jeremy Cowards or the Brandon Harveys or yourself. Like I, I just, I was more accepted in that world, I guess, because I, I just I just had different things to say. Um, so there was yeah. never for me sort of a switch. It was more of a doubling down. You know what I mean? I was I, I'm sure. like, well, right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not do this. You know what I'm saying? Because now there's the opportunity for a much larger check. You know what I'm saying? Like I I just I got here being who I am. You know what I mean? Um, right. So yeah. sort of because of that, you know what I mean, there was like, I guess since I never had the luxury of those uh, like large built-in audience, like there was nobody was ever like emailing their youth group to say, here's 200 tickets, bring all of your kids to this concert. I never, I just, that never happened for propaganda, you know what I'm saying? So sure. I never got used, I never, I never had to face that challenge of of kind of like realizing this, just this moral conflict. Um, I was just kind of always who I was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. These last two and a half years on social media have been ridiculous and bonkers and helpful uh, in many ways. There have been mature conversations about these race issues and police brutality and so on and so forth. There have been uh, bad conversations, good conversations. Talk about the last couple years, the conversations that have been going on are we better off now? And, and when I say we, I just mean culture in general, the, the faith culture and the not faith culture. Do you think we're better off now than we were two and a half years ago? Are we, are we worse off? Is it, is it more complicated uh, now? What, what, what do you see right now as you still engage these conversations? I think it's yet to be seen. You know, I think it's, it's kind of okay. one of those like too early to call thing. It's like history will tell. 
you know, um, especially because, like, when you, you know, it's hard to see the forest, you know, with the trees, you know what I'm saying, while we're in it, you know what I mean? There's right. moments where I know I feel like I'm on cloud nine because of progress, and then there's the very next moment I'm like, I don't even know why we waste our breath, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, sure. honestly, I feel like it's, I, I feel like it's yet to be seen. I mean, that's, I, especially as someone who, like, studied sociology, like, in, in my graduate studies, it's like, you it's just it's just too early to call you know what i mean yeah you guys have used uh language like believer and lord and uh evangelical and different words like that some of the listeners of this podcast uh are christians for sure and they're people of faith and then many will not be what what role does your faith play into these conversations that you're having the the music that you're making um, what role does it play in that? Is it is it a, does it does it have a profound role or is it kind of a throwaway thing? I think I know the answer, but I want you to kind of talk that out for a minute with uh, with me and with the listener about your the role of faith in your in what you stand for today. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, this was a non Christian podcast. I'd have dropped a lot more cuss words. Um, you can start. Hell now. yeah! I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, shit. You know. <laughs> I mean, shit. Should have told me. I'd have been up in this bitch cussing a lot more. But uh, there you go. Um, yeah, man, I think we, we talk, it's so ironic to go from cuss words to talking about faith. <laughs> so, but that's part of the issue is that we create such, that it shouldn't be ironic. You see what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. Sure. So, um, I think one of the things depending on where you fall in the theological paradigm is that you, and this is, is apropos to this discussion today is that faith should inform every aspect of life. And I think the problem, the reason why we're in such a mess that we have now is that faith didn't inform a lot of the forefathers and church leaders within the building of this, this country. Hmm. There's no way that you can have a faith that you truly believe that God has created all men and women in his image, but then turn around and say that men and women from another color uh, don't they? They're three fifths of a human, or that we should be able to treat them as property. We should be able to sell and beat them like cattle. Mm-hmm. That we should be able to split their families apart. Like that, they shouldn't be educated, right? That we should be <clears throat> uh, selling them off um, um, or stealing them from other countries. So um, it's absolutely paramount that I allow my faith to inform every area of life. And if that if if that's not the case, then we then I get into a dangerous place, right? Because if I just only believe in this kind of dualistic uh, dualism, in, as far as my faith is only for my private and Sunday life, then when I go to work, I make bad decisions that affect industries. And if I make bad decisions that affect industries that are selfish, then that means the people that I'm servicing are gonna are gonna are gonna be harmed by those services that I create. Mm. And so. It informs the way the music I make because if it was just a private religion, then when I made music, I would just say the things that were fulfilling to my ego, fulfilling to my pocket, and then I can compartmentalize my character and my uh, uh, my aesthetic to, with my faith. And so, when we make music, you know, I want to make sure that people. That doesn't mean that I'm gonna give a a, a Jesus overkill. But in every line, in every phrase, and in every verse, and in every hook, I don't. I, my goal is to not offend the gospel or God. 
And mm-hmm. if I'm not offending the gospel of God, that means I'm I'm bringing clarity to it and I'm bringing exaltation to to the Father. And then hopefully, this is shaping worldview in a way that people are being challenged. Whether it's I'm talking about relationships from a biblical worldview, whether I'm talking about how I you know love my neighbor, or um, are the ultimate reason on why I do things. I'm I'm either talking about the sun or I'm talking about what the sun helps me see. That's good. So real quickly, the 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 main thrust of this podcast is to help is to tell stories in a way, tell your story in a way that it will cause people to have their own give a damn moment where they will begin to get outside themselves and care for others and love others even if it's hard. And so could you give uh, do do two things for me real quickly as we begin to wrap up this conversation. Um, reassure those listening in on this conversation that it's not going to be easy. Because I think a lot of times when people set out to do good and to, to as Gandhi said, to be the change they wish to see in the world, they, they I think we kind of, you know, if we're going to go on a, on a trip to Africa to visit an orphanage or, you know, wherever else, we kind of have this like idea that it's it's going to be this like great and cool and awesome thing and that there's going to be Sigurose music in the background of the soundtrack of our lives and it's going to be beautiful and sexy and all that stuff. And yeah. the reality is it's not. It's if we devote our lives for to others, it's going to be really hard. So reassure the listeners of that. We either just say it however you want to say it or give an example of that. I mean, you guys are musicians. You need to you guys are artists. You need to make money uh and yeah. support your families this way is this has your standing up for these things affected that and then also on the tail end of that if you would give one or two practical exam- uh, helpful steps for someone listening to be to begin doing this to begin giving a damn about those around them i think first of all i know i was very guilty of like romanticizing being a revolutionary um I even wrote a blog about it where uh, you know, my, my childhood, the posters in my room were Marcus Garvey, Sojourner Truth, you know, the five uh, ancient African kingdoms, you know, Ghana, Mali, Songhai, um, you know, uh, two. Like, I just had the posters, the Zulu nation, like, I just had posters of these, like, amazing heroes. It was a Martin and Malcolm, the photo of them shaking hands that was in, that was in my hallway, like, just... I just I was inundated with these leaders. There was my father made made my sister read the Angela Davis bi- autobiography. I had to do a book report on Nat Turner and Malcolm X. So I had this picture of what it meant to participate in this like narrative that would change the world. You know what I mean? So it was almost like I I I knew again if you're gonna matter, you got to do something that's more that's bigger than you. Um, and and it can't be and it can't be just for accolades and money. I keep a list of like artists. Uh, I have it saved on my phone. A list of artists who never won Grammys, you know, but they changed the world. You know, we're talking hmm. The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, like uh, Morrison. You know, what I'm saying Janis Joplin. Hmm. Like these these people, Hendrix. Like they never they never won Grammys. You know what I'm saying? But we all point back to them as like you change the world. You know what I'm saying? So I always knew that like, this is the narrative I want to sit inside of. I'm looking to be that instead of this, you know? And it was always like this just heroic, that's who you make biopics about. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
what I wasn't prepared for was the strain on my marriage. My daughter, like, crying before I'm about to catch a plane, you know, scared that daddy's going to get shot because he might because mm. he, he might die you know what i'm saying and 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 the police aren't going to go to jail cuz they don't get in trouble for killing black men like you know how do how do i mm. look at how do i look at my daughter and give her an answer to where i'm like i actually understand why you feel this way you know so i think i didn't count i didn't count that um i didn't count for the race trauma you can google it it's something that exists you know what i'm saying the the feelings of PTSD when when you're trying to explain to people that you thought were family and thought would understand. You know what I'm saying? Just the letdown of that. I think I didn't wow. I wasn't prepared for that part. I just had this romantic view of it. But it drove me to say, um, it's almost like it spoke to the athlete in me to be like, Man, this is my fourth quarter down by one, three seconds left, no fouls to give. You know what I'm saying? Like, since I'm not an mm. athlete, this is my Gatorade commercial. This is me. Um, right. I get to dig deep and find it. You know what I'm saying? Um, yep. And it became something that I was now, uh, to, to borrow from Christian terms, I've now counted the cost. You know what I'm saying? I've, n- I've now actually picked up the actual cost of doing this. And it's something I can take great joy in knowing that like if you have a if you have an understanding of history, a real history, you you have a you have what's called a long view. If you understand a long view, then you know that empires, you know, fall and crash and and build up again and, and it takes a very long time. And who's to say, you know what I'm saying, um, what you're doing is right. Uh, now you know that like you, you take a position to say that time will tell and you, what you can do is look back at history and say, I am on the right side of history. And if I am on the right, right side of history as a believer, you're like, then you're siding with people who were persecuted. The people that were on the right side of the history, you're, you're participating in their pain, you know, and that's something that's like, you, 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 you can't find more honor and joy in that. So yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to be hard. You know, but that's that's the cost of being on the right side of history. That's like a long view thing. I'd say practically, though, you know, like like you said, we have to like eat. One thing is like you don't build your empire where you need to be something you're not to survive. Um, Hmm. So if you build your your house, you know, on sort of the for us, like, you know, on the mountain of white supremacy you know what i mean then when you start pointing at it you're chipping away at your own foundation you know so Mm. you just don't you don't build an empire on an infrastructure that you philosophically oppose you know so if you if you learn how to one 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 of the benefits of being at a point in your life poor is you understand that like it ain't the end of the world you know what i'm saying (laughs) at that like right i'm a fine food somehow you know and you're not above Uh, washing cars and cleaning toilets like I'm not afraid of hard work so if you if you're not afraid of like when I think about and I and I say this not to make light of it but I think about the economic crash like when the stock market crashed you have poor families like you know men killing themselves and jumping out of buildings and it was it was tragic you know what I'm saying but I think that that tragedy is enigmatic of the fact that they've never been poor you're saying you've never Yep. You've never not had, so you actually feel like this is the end of what I've, I've not had before. You know, so, so I know that it's not the end, right? And then I think to, uh, I guess this could apply to believers and non-believers alike, but if you borrow from 
uh, a parable Jesus gave about uh, the talents. You know, he gave one person five talents, one two, and one uh, one talent. Um, and then was essentially like, okay, go go work them, go work the talents. And mm-hmm. then when you come, and then I'm going to come back, and I want to see a return on my investment. You know, so I would say that the the ability you have to accrue wealth, we're going to, for lack of, for the sake of argument, we're going to call that your talent. You know what I'm saying? And and at some mm-hmm. point, you have to say, I'm not going to fear the market more than I fear the investor, right? right. Um, so I fear the investor, and I'm not going to not be who I need to be because I'm afraid I'm going to lose a Twitter follower, or this person's not going to book me here, or this is going to have like, I'm going to lose that. Like, I can't fear that more than I fear the fact that I've been invested in. You know, and I have a and I have yeah. a job to work this investment, and that's what's more important to me. I want the father to come back and be like, "Yo, I like what you did there. You know, I like what you did to the place, son. You know, what I'm saying like that's what I'm. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. So I think that like when you when you you just I I have a a phrase that I use like I love you too much to be scared of you. You know, what I'm saying like I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not scared of y'all. Like I love you too much to be scared of you. You know, so so. I feel like from a practical standpoint, when you take that position and you diversify, like there's all kinds of things. You could diversify your income and all those other things. But I think at the end of the day, you have to say to yourself, I'm I'm participating in the long history, number one. And then number two, like I'm not gonna build an empire that requires me to be what I'm not. Very helpful. Show, do you have anything to add to that? I do not. That was he he wrapped it up. You just echo you're just <laughs> echoing his echo. I'm echoing the echo, Lord Jesus, just I just want to echo his echo. <laughs> um, I'm I'm very happy that you knew exactly what I was talking about. Let's talk real quickly as we wrap up about just what what are you doing right now? Because I, I want people again. You, you, hopefully, you guys will you know push this on your social and tell people to listen in. So a lot of your fans and my friends will come and listen to this. But there's going to be people that have never heard of you before. Um, so what are you doing right now? Like what's, I mean, you guys are on a tour right now. Could you give a quick 30 second plug on what the tour is about, why you're doing it, where you've been, that sort of thing. If you have any new music coming out and then I have a couple questions that I ask every guest at the end. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I am, uh, on the tour with the, the gentleman who took up all the, uh, answers in, in this podcast. <laughs> oh my and uh, we're doing Spotlight. We have two more cities. We're doing Houston and Atlanta. And where have you been so far? We've been to uh, three spots in Cali. We've been to uh, Vanguard University, San Diego, Los Angeles, or Long Beach, better yet. Yeah. Then we went to Chicago and New York. Um, I just released an album on October 21st called The Narrative. Um, I'll be doing some more shows coming up, so you can... Catch up with me on Twitter and Facebook uh, at Amisho Baraka, A-M-I-S-H-O-B-A-R-A-K-A, and HumbleBeast.com for anything that, uh, any upcoming events and whatnot. That's awesome. Prop? Hey, yeah, I am also on this tour well, with this gentleman that completely co-opted my childhood. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's called Spotlight Politics and Protest. It's essentially like, you know, at some point you got to like get out of the... You got to get off social media and have like an actual conversation right and sort of built around like like he said like we said earlier to where like our black consciousness and experience with race and and uh justice um 
you know, at, at the end of that, our desire is unity and to be a much better family. Um, so we're kind of just trying to unpack that, like how can we uh, how can we be a better family with each other? And family requires so a little bit of truth and a little bit of grace. And how and we want to present a night that you know honors and highlights both of those. And that's kind of what this what this tour has been about. Um, I am currently working on new music. Um, nice. And uh, looking at sometime next year for some some new propaganda music to come out, but. Same thing, yeah, humblebeast.com to get, you know, all of our performance dates. Uh, and my socials are all prop hip-hop. So it's prop hip-hop. Love it. Uh, show, since you have are whining a little bit about not getting enough time on the air, I do have one question for you. you so the other day you interviewed Evan McMullen, uh, independent mm-hmm. candidate for president of the United States. What was that What was that like? I, I'm a fan of his, and I've been following his... Uh, his quick uprising with Mindy Finn as his VP. Uh, what was that? What was that like? Was it fun, insightful? Uh, how were you helped, and was the crowd helped? It was. I mean, it was a pro Evan McMullen crowd. So, uh, and if it wasn't like if people in the building weren't pro Evan McMullen, they were definitely anti-Trump and Hillary Clinton. So, um, I think so it was peaceful and really- helpful. Yeah, exactly. So most of the people there were either his fans or people who were just confused about what direction they wanted to vote. For me, it was it was it was funny how leading up to it, like maybe a week and a couple of days before leading up to it, I, I mean, I really was kind of like indifferent. I really didn't care. And then I finally tweeted about it the day of, and literally like almost got to like a thousand replies. I mean, a thousand retweets and likes, and I was like, oh wow. Wow. Like, this is a big deal. <laughs> like, yeah. like, people are coming. Like, I had random, like, people who would never, ever talk to me in life were like, oh, I'm, I'll be there. And so I was nervous leading up to it, like, the day of. I was like, oh, snap, I hope these questions are good. Yeah, seriously. And, then, and not necessarily because of him, because I actually met him the week before for, like, 30 minutes. And I met his campaign a couple times before that. Um, but I knew that they were broadcasting this live on Facebook and that there was NPR and CNN and some other folks were there. So my, my, my goal was just to make sure, make sure I just didn't like, I, I personally didn't like mess up. Yeah. <laughs> you know but behind stage, I had a conversation with him about reparations in which I, like, I really appreciated his answer though. He didn't say he was all the way forward. Hmm. He was, man, there's something I think we really need to look into and do more research into. Um, and then he, I kind of shared to, cause he asked me, what are your thoughts? And I kind of shared some of my thoughts on it and how it can be done in 2016. And he was like, you know what? I, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't work. Um, then we talked on stage. Anytime a presidential candidate or a politician is asked about race relations and he defers to the black man sitting next to him and saying, you know what? I think we should learn from this individual more than, than for me. Wow. I respect that. Yeah. And so... Uh, his posture was very humble, and uh, but he spoke with authority on the issues that he felt comfortable about, and I respect that. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Cool. Before I ask the very last question of the interview, I want to spend a moment uh, a- acknowledging and honoring you both. I've known you for I've known you both for a few years now, and I see you both consistently be caring, loving, bold, courageous men who care about their families and faith. And I just wanted to acknowledge you for that. It's it's been a it's been a joy uh, to see that from the sidelines and to experience some of that firsthand. 
And so, yeah, I want to acknowledge that. I want to honor you for that and encourage you as you continue uh, raising your families and in your careers as they as they develop. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, last question is hypothetical, but it is a doozy. When you die, hypothetical, it's not going to happen for a while, hopefully. When you die, I'm going to give your eulogy in front of your family, in front of your friends, in front of your fans. They're all in the room. What do you want that eulogy to say? Give me three or four sentences. What do you want your, your legacy to be when you leave the earth and I'm there sharing this with the people that you've touched and affected? Wow. Well, first, yeah, well, first I would want, uh, after my family uh, tries to figure out who the hell you are and why you're doing my eulogy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Who is this bearded why dude, is he, like, on stage? Like, <laughs> wait. And why is he barefoot? And why is he barefoot? Who brought up Frodo to come, like, what's going on? <laughs> why is he dude, please, why are you here? Oh, okay, anyway, um... Man, that's a tough one. I would say, I guess that, you know, he was a man that, like, you know, really consistently loved his his family and loved others, believed in things that were bigger than him, and just gave his life to make much of uh, causes that Christ saw was important. But at the end of the day, man, this dude was a reflection of who Jesus was and how it looks to be a black Christian father, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I mean, if if that's what I say or whoever is giving you eulogy, I think job well done, man. I mean that. Um, show. Yep. So uh, one of the things I've always told my wife is that one, uh, I recognize death is something that people see as uh, sad and, and depressing, in which it is. I mean, it's, it's we, were, we weren't meant to die. And, uh, you know, God created us to have perfect relationship with him, which means we were, we were meant to live forever. And so death is, is disturbing. And, but I've always told my wife, I want it to be a celebration. And I literally mean this. I want people to, so depending on what age I am, I would love for my uh, friends who attend my uh, funeral to do, to perform songs. Uh, and uh, if there's some younger folks who could perform, who know me, uh, I want them to perform songs. I want there to be music. I want there to be a celebration because, first of all, I'm off to a better place, and I feel bad for y'all who are still on earth. So that's one. The other thing is is um, I want the gospel to be communicated clearly because at the end of the day, if you, if you follow just my life, then, you know, great. You'll, you'll, you'll get some great examples, but you'll also get a very incomplete, flawed way on how to live life, because I believe I do some things great, but I know I, I know I do some things very wrong. And so at the end of the day, my life was to be lived, to point people to Jesus, kind of like what Prop said. And so um, once there's many, many different proclamations of the gospel from many different people in many different areas, I want people to recognize that, man, this dude loved Jesus yeah. more than anything. He loved his family. He loved doing justice, as Micah six eight talked about. You know, hopefully he walked humbly. But at the end of the day, man, he loved Jesus, and he wanted to. He wanted that to be an example in every area of life, and hopefully people will say, will testify to that. Like, yo, I worked with Show, and 
he lived his life so that we would know Jesus. Oh man, I worked out with Show and he lived his life that people would know Jesus. Oh man, I yeah used to go to school with Show and he you know so that's the go. That's awesome. Can't argue with that. Thank you both for joining me today. This has been an incredible uh, conversation. Yeah, dude. And uh, I'm really grateful for you both. Thanks for joining me. Oh and, uh, man, thank you, Nick Laparra. Do you, roll, do you like do you roll the double L's? Is like La Parra. Oh, of course, no. La Parra. La Parra. Okay. It depends on who I'm talking to. Most people would think it was weird if I just whipped that out, but if it's in the right. Man, you need to be who you are. Don't don't judge. Look, if your name is pronounced with a rolled R, you pronounce it with an R. I don't care who there. Okay. You convinced <laughs> me. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it from now on. I'm gonna make it awkward. I'm just gonna own it. That ain't awkward. That see 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 what that is. Don't normalize something else. That's how you say your name. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, guys. Talk to you later. All right, bro. Before I wrap up today's podcast, I wanted to quickly share something with you. Maybe you're already fans of these fine gents, and that's why you listen today. If you're not, however, I hope our chat today caused you to become a fan. If you go over to letsgiveadam.com right now, you'll find links to my favorite music videos from Show & Prop. They're amazing, and I hope you put them in your normal listening rotation from now on right alongside this podcast, of course. Thanks so much for joining Show Baraka, Propaganda, and I for our conversation today. Be sure to go follow them everywhere on social media. If you enjoyed our chat, go and let them know. Also, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. And ask your friends to listen and subscribe too. The more, the merrier. You can follow Let's Give a Damn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to find out more about the show and other things we plan to implement very soon. And head on over to our Facebook page and click on the sign up button to receive weekly emails containing amazing stories like this one. Also, if you want, you can follow me, Nick LaPara, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat. Well, that is it for today, my friends. I cannot wait to spend more time with you soon. And I urge you, even today, to begin giving a damn about the things around you that are wrong, that you have the ability to help make right. Until next time.